We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. On today's episode of BuzzBeat, we take listener questions on Charlotte's defense and realistic development stories, talk about some trends we're seeing with the Hornets and their last handful of games, and we end the episode with a very topical segment on selling and buying Hornets stock. All of that, plus a little bit more, up next. Blue Wire. With the third pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Charlotte Hornets select... LaMelo Ball from Chino Hills, California. TJ. Oh, my goodness! Stunning! With the pass! Devontae Deep! Oh, my goodness! I don't believe it! A 35-minute Just stop it already! All right, what's up, everyone? And welcome to another BuzzBeat. This is Richie, and I'm joined by... Brian and Spencer, as always, well, I guess not as always, we were just talking about this <laughs> pre-recording. It's It's been a while since all three of us have been on the podcast together, it feels like, recording. Uh, what's new with you guys? What's new with you, Spencer? It feels like we haven't talked to you in a while. You sent us a picture the other day about you and your uh, your baby watching League Pass together. Yeah, yeah. Um, later in the evening, I usually tell the wife to go to sleep uh, a little bit early, I'll, I'll take getting the kid to sleep and uh, him and I, he has his last bottle about 930, 10, 1030. And we flip on some league pass and see what's happening either an early Sacramento Kings tip or, uh, nice. or we get the end of some, some East coast game. So it's a nice little tradition early on in his life. So all is well here. Yeah. I don't know if you've gotten the habit of this or if Brian, if you do this, do you guys watch TV with closed captioning on or no? I so with like with not with basketball or sports or whatever, which is the like 80 percent of my screen time, I feel like if not more. But um, when I watch TV shows and movies, yeah, like I like fortunately or unfortunately, like I've conditioned myself. There must have been there was like a one or two like prestige shows over the last decade that was really bad. I felt like about like kind of understanding, like hearing everything that was being said. And Mm -hmm. because of that, like, I don't know if it was game of Thrones or something else that got me to, you know, start using closed captioning. And now, yeah, I like, can't, it feels, I can watch it without it, but, but it is preferred for me to have closed captioning when watching like, you know, TV that's plot driven and, you know, you know, narrative TV or prestige TV or whatever. Yeah. Like close captioning for that. The, the only reason I asked that Spencer is because I only started doing it two years ago after Beckett was born because late at night when we would feed him his last bottle, you have to be like extra careful about like not creaking this, you know, the floorboards or not making too much sound. So (laughs) I would turn the volume down fairly low and then I would just turn the closed captioning on. And ever since I've enjoyed it and probably to Brian's point, you probably need it and you, you kind of stay in tune to the story a little bit more when there is actual closed captioning on the screen. Yeah. Luckily. Um, yeah. Dre goes to sleep pretty like he's, he's learned to take naps. Let me say it this way. He's learned to take naps in like public places sometimes or where there's noise. (laughs) So like at night, like the dog could bark, like I can turn the TV up. Usually he's, yeah, we're lucky in that regard. He he goes right to sleep. But, uh, but yes. And speaking of TV shows, Brian got me thinking, finished, uh, uh, ran Entourage back for the second time and finished that uh, night before last. Uh, just quick shout out to one of the great, greatest shows ever. Um, I cried when I finished it. I love that freaking show. <laughs> yeah, I have started. 
I don't know why I like started a TV show in the middle <laughs> of basketball season. Like I, I genuinely don't have time for this right now, but uh, I started watching Twin Peaks for the first time. And uh, yeah, man, it's, it's wild. I mean, I'm only like six episodes in, but it's, it's crazy. I don't know if you, if you guys are fans of David Lynch or not um, or like aware of his works, but like, it's wild. It's like some, it's a very um, bizarre combination. It's, it's like spooky. It's surreal. Um, the, there's like little bits of off the wall humor. It's, uh, it's just very like inscrutable, uh, like art form, um, that David Lynch produces. So I'm into it so far. I really like twin peaks, but like if this were during the pandemic times, I would have watched like all of it already, <laughs> probably not being able to rifle through it. Like I would, uh, normally pr- do during non-basketball times. All right, so let, let's get to what we need to get to here with this being a Hornets podcast. We'll, we'll stop talking about Twin Peaks, uh, and we'll get to some listener questions here. And Brian, I, I did watch, like I said, I did watch like the first or two episodes of that like two or three years ago, and for whatever reason, I, it's not like I lost interest. I don't know if I got busy at that point in time. I just never, yeah. I never returned. I don't know why. It's crazy, man. It's, yeah. it's very bizarre, but uh, so far I'm into it. All right, so the first listener question comes from Mark Schindler. He is a friend of the podcast, and he also hosts his own podcast, Indie Cornrows. What is the best realistic outcome for the remainder of this season, or at least what you most hope for? Could be wins and losses, could be making the plan, but I'm thinking more developments from players or from the team. So I guess this question depends a lot upon, you know, what the fan base wants in terms of if we as fans want them to make the playoffs, because obviously there's some consequences that come uh, as a result of that. But I'm pretty sure the organization definitely wants to get into the playoffs. So I'm going to base my answer off of that, Mark. I think getting another high-ish draft pick would be very beneficial for this team in the long run. But I think a realistic outcome for this team is definitely a top 10 team in the East. You know, talking about them today, I, I think that's an an outcome that they can reach. I was a little bit more cautious with my prediction preseason, but I, I think that's that could be a realistic hope among fans. Before we get into, I guess, player development pieces that we want to see, I just want to ask you guys a quick question. Do you guys feel that the Hornets can compete for those top 10 spots to, to kind of be in that playoff hunt? Yeah. Yeah, I think for sure they can. Um, certainly if they can stay healthy. I mean, specifically keep Cody Zeller healthy. I mean, it didn't take us long to see his value. Um, not that we forgot that, but man, this offense is so much better with Cody Zeller. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I think as of right now, you, we should, I, I think it's not crazy to say we should expect the Hornets to be a top 10 team in the East. They look, uh, they look pretty good right now. I mean, LaMelo Ball's, you know, he's obviously changed the course of this franchise almost overnight. Gordon Hayward's been awesome. You know, if this Malik Monk thing keeps up, Rozier and Graham kind of do their thing bombing. I mean, this is a pretty good, this is a pretty good team right now. Yeah, they, they totally can. I mean, they're, they're right there right now. Maybe they're overperforming a little bit. Maybe the defense is going to take a bit of a black slide, but it's, it's still still holding steady in this, you know, 15 to 17, 16 range terms of overall efficiency and in recently in, in the Milwaukee and in the Miami games, they just got some great performances and clutch minutes. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that, but yeah, like this roster, they're limited in some certain ways, you know, they're, they're not the deepest team. It's not the, you know, the biggest team and the defense is sort of the way it's designed is, is built to sort of like, help out some of the weaker defenders and create turnovers and do all this other stuff. But it does leave Charlotte exposed, like in the money areas of the court, right? Like the, you know, the corner threes, the rim looks, et cetera. So it's like on the the wrong, on the certain nights, it's just, it's just not going to work. But so far, like, yeah, it's been solid. And I think there's enough shooting. There's enough uh, offensive playmaking, especially with the way Hayward is playing right now. Like you've got a legit, you know, high usage wing that you can just sort of ride and get, get, get you buckets. Like when's the last time Charlotte had a guy like that? I mean, seriously. So yeah, I think they can do it. It helps that the rest of the East is just so baffling right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like Miami, Toronto struggling, 
Um, I feel like plenty of team, no one's like looked, you know, necessarily like great in the Eastern conference so far. And just, it feels like, I don't know, six through like, you know, 13 is really just, it's just like sort of a hodgepodge of teams down there. Obviously, you know, you, you know, Washington's bad, but even they came into this season thinking they'd get like the eighth seed or the ninth seed or whatever. I think as far as just like, if you're looking, if we're removing like individual player developments or looking at how we think certain players should be developing and progressing along with one another, specifically with some of the younger guys, uh, if we're looking at just, you know, win loss record playoffs, yes, no. I mean, it's obvious this team still needs, still needs more pieces. Right. And, and the best way to do that is to go into the draft and, and to draft high to better your odds at getting the player you want or the, the best player. Because like, even if LaMelo, like, you know, eventually maxes out, like, like even if he somehow gets the apex version of himself and he's a top 20 player in the league or whatever, it's like, you still need a lot of stuff, you know, like you, you still need a lot of stuff to build around that guy, but it does seem Richie, as you noted, they want to make the playoffs. So I will say even getting to that play in area is like, maybe not a bad hedge. I think we've talked about that on the show before, which is like, it would give you a, t- you wouldn't be in the postseason but it would give you a taste of it. Um, you know, you get to play a little bit more basketball and, um, you know, maybe even make it, you know, you play a little bit more basketball and, and then you still get the lottery pick. Yeah. But no, ultimately, like if, if I could have my, you know, sort of my druthers, they would continue to play the way they're playing in, in a lot of respects, but that this team would still end up in the lottery somehow because, uh, there are some very good prospects that are in this 2021 draft. And I think a lot of guys that would make sense long-term for Charlotte. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think I think preseason I said 11th or 12th I can't cannot remember what I said but I, I do think that they could be in the hunt for that 10th seed. Um, I think if they limit their turnovers, if they improve slightly on the defensive side and that allows them to get out and run, they'll be in the mix there and I think that's a realistic hope that fans can have. But back yeah. to the second half of Mark's question in terms of just player development pieces, what are some realistic outcomes that we can see with these players? Now, we can go up and down the roster all we want, but maybe we should just maybe focus on some of more of the prominent ones or ones that we're more interested in. I think I want to start with LaMelo Ball. Like, where, where do you guys think this guy will end up by the end of the season? And maybe what are some goals that you have for him on the court? Me personally, I would love to see him take some steps defensively on and off ball. Just, I guess, more from an awareness point of view, not necessarily just from, you know, a physical straight up point of view. Uh, he's shown he's been able to get his length uh, and in the passing lanes, I think he's currently like sixth in the NBA in deflections per 36 minutes. We've seen what he can do on the offense side of the ball. I guess improvements with the shooting as well, getting that a little bit more consistent. But I do think a realistic outcome for LaMelo Ball moving forward is to improve defensively and make baby steps along the way. Spencer, what are your thoughts on LaMelo Ball and just the development that you want to see out of him in these last three-fourths of the season here? Well, yeah, I think you have to start with defense. I think you're right. And I thought in Miami last night, uh, I could see him making a conceded effort to get into a stance. You know, his footwork, his ability to slide, you know, that's going to struggle all year, probably next as well. I mean, he's, he's really got to, he's got to learn that part. You can tell that this, this guy is not, 
it's not been taught to play defense on an individual level real intensively throughout his short basketball career here. But that's where I would start. I would say that um, LaMelo is right at 31% from behind the arc right now. Honestly, that's fine with me. Like that's such a drastic, that's such a drastic improvement from what we saw, you know, overseas in Australia, I would say, you know, make a goal 32% or better. If you want to go north of that, fine. But I, I think that's, that's a nice jump for him shooting. The other thing with LaMelo and probably the most other, uh, most important thing to me outside of defense would be free throw attempts. He has really been attacking the basket more aggressively, uh, specifically in the half court, I think in these last four to five games. And that has excited me as much as anything I've seen from LaMelo since he's been in the NBA, his length, let me back up. His length's where it starts. You know, he's six, seven, he's got long arms. He's creative with the ball. Uh, He can get the ball to the rim off the glass in a lot of different ways. He showed us that. And what I've seen along with that in these last four to five games is him kind of simplifying that process. You know, it seemed like early on in the season, it was like he had to get to the this up and under left-handed layup, which is fine, and he made it, and it looks awesome. But it was just a very inconsistent process. Recently, you've seen him getting into defenders' bodies more, using his length to go up and under, uh, and that's paying off by getting to the foul line. So, so far this season, he's attempting about two and a half free throws per game. I would say, uh, Lamel, let's make a checkpoint. You get there three and a half times a game over your rookie season, and I think that's a real win for him. And that's gonna, and that's how he's going to see an uptick in points. I mean, he's always going to be an average to below average shooter, probably. But if he can get downhill as often as possible, get into defenders' bodies, make you know, make defenses respect you at the rim, and now you're creating even more offense for your teammates. So I think that's his probably his most important checkpoint, other than defense. Individual, keep the ball in front. Defense. Yeah, I don't. I, you guys are high, have highlighted exactly what I what I would have wanted to bring up. So I won't stay say too much about the on-ball defense. Um, but that's really where he needs to get better. It certainly helps that he's smart, he's long, Mm -hmm. and as you saw last night in Miami, he likes to compete. Um, That should hopefully make up for some of the fact that he's not laterally, you know, an an elite athlete, you know what I mean? Uh, In terms of of getting in a stance and and sliding and really being able to to take stuff away in one-on-one situations. Like, he's going to have to get by on his smarts and guile. And right now, it seems like he he has a lot of those things, which is great. In the length certainly helps, but just continuing to develop and show that's just going to be a night in night out thing to track, you know? And so something that's, I think one of the priorities to keep an eye on with him and and Spencer, you did a great job highlighting this. Um, This is something we've seen an improvement from him just in the month of January, like his ability to draw contact and LaMelo was really struggling against switches when, uh, when big guys would switch out onto him, that's, that had been an issue at points this season. And he was, I mean, he lit Brooke Lopez up a couple times during the Milwaukee game, which was, I thought rather impressive. I think he had some of those possessions against Indiana as well, who didn't the Pacers put Sabonis on LaMelo at times. Like that wasn't even a, a switch. That was just one of the assignments that the Indiana was going with less success last night against Bam at a bio uh, as, as one would probably imagine, but that's something else to keep an eye on. Like, what just how devastating or how productive can LaMelo be out of attacking ball screen switches this season? And just a couple other things. Well, and you know, to your point real quick on Bam, because I was yeah. I was going to bring that up and you did like just and you, you said, you know, how willing he's been to attack the basket. Bam Adebayo is the most, you know, he's the most aggressive, devastating yeah. five defender switchable in the whole league. And LaMelo went at him multiple times last night. Yeah. And I think they were all off of switches, but to your point, his willingness overnight almost to just be like, yeah, I'll take this guy. No problem. And he, yep. you know, Bam destroyed him for the most part, but he drew a few fouls on him as well. I mean, that guy's yeah. going to, he's coming at you. Yeah. So. And, and at the least too, it, it helped in problem solving for the Hornets because they ended that game by being like, okay, we can't involve 13 in any coverages. Like we're not doing that anymore. Where's Tyler hero. Okay. Tyler hero. You we're going to give you the LeBron playoff treatment and whomever you're guarding <laughs> that person's coming up into the action. And we're just going to go at them, whether it's Devante, whether it's Hayward. Gordon Hayward um, or, or Malik Monk or whomever, like, and so at least LaMelo 
he helps with the problem solving of that uh, aspect as well. And yeah, like Bam's going to make most rookie guards that he has you know, 50 pounds on or whatever look bad when he switches on to them. They're just like, you can't drive by that guy. He's too fast and strong. He's incredible. Um, so, no, so no real shame there. And, and yeah, I mean, LaMelo did, I thought he really had some nice possessions against Lopez. Uh, uh, not like Lopez is great in space, but still notable. And then other, other small things, just looking on players outside of LaMelo, uh-huh. where are like Malik Monk, it, it seems it, we last season, we saw a lot of good and a lot of progress out of Malik as he, as he took on an expanded role. And even within that, you know, he was struggling to shoot the basketball from three. He was great at the rim and, and driving rim. It seemed like a week ago, this guy was just like on the completely on the outskirts of the rotation. And now it, you don't want to overreact, but you're thinking well, what's at least reasonable to expect from him the rest of the year. 36 um, points a night, Brian. That's right. I mean, he, yeah. the thing is, just he to ha- be just to remain in the rotation. Yeah, yeah. That, you I, know, yeah. like yeah, I, I'd still like to see him get more, like more possessions for creation, uh, more shooting agree. possessions. I think it's so easy to forget that, like when he came in that 2017 draft class, like he was one of the premier like snipers and movement shooters in that class, and it's like, you know, damn, last season that was just like put on the back burner because he was, he couldn't shoot, but was getting, was doing such a nice job getting to the, to the, to the cup. And then like, is there any more playmaking to tap into with miles bridges? I think we saw some of the short roll stuff last night. We've seen some of the post passing, obviously he can finish plays above the rim and he tried to, to throw down another dunk on bam last night, but just, I'd like to see more playmaking developments for miles bridges too, because you, you may really have something not just in terms of like, you know, bench duo this season with Miles and LaMelo, like those guys could pair together nicely in some way, shape or form, you know, for the, at least the intermediate future. So I think, I think that's something else to keep an eye on. I think Bridges playmaking works into that. Yeah. And two players that I want to mention, well, Malik Monk for one, Brian, you brought him up and I don't know if this was like maybe just him trying to impress knowing that his minutes have been hard to come by, but it feels like I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it feels like he has, had more pull-up attempts from mid-range than maybe last year in terms, just a percentage, obviously, but I would like to see him tone that down a little bit, but maybe he's just pressing a little bit in terms of, hey, I got to get I gotta get shots up. I guess I can't really say much after he scored 36 points last night, but to mm-hmm. your point, want to use him a little bit more going downhill, attacking the rim. I think they can use that Chicago action a lot with those backdoor lobs, maybe get LaMelo to throw him a backdoor lob every so often. Mm-hmm. And it's a very interesting kind of dichotomy here where Malik Monk is a very good playmaker, so you want the ball in his hands, but also you don't want him over-dribbling and and pulling up for mid-range because that's what got him into trouble his rookie season. And then one last player that I want to do bring up in terms of just a realistic goal for this player is Devontae Graham. He has definitely made steps as an off-ball shooter, uh, catch-and-shoot guy, but one area in which I feel like he needs to regain is his pull-up three-point shooting. And maybe this isn't a realistic goal just because the offense might not allow for it. I I think that it's hard to come by in terms of just getting into the flow because he's not running pick and roll after pick and roll. Mm -hmm. But with Zeller back, it just made him much more dangerous of a player if he can come off, you know, a screen from Zeller and pull. Currently, he's shooting 25% on pull-up threes. I would like to see... you know, that get up to a little bit over 30 on, on pull-up threes, so. Yeah, yeah, Zeller will help for sure. Um, yeah. He has to, like, that's that's one of the things Zeller does super well offensively is, like, he's just great um, setting up, you know, off-dribble shooters and spread ball screen. You know, he, he and Kemba were a great duo with that. And, yeah, like, that pull-up shooting that you're mentioning, Richie, like, you want to know how Devontae Graham was such a good and impactful offensive player last season despite – not being able to score inside the arc. Like it's the fact that he, he was just a, a, an absolute bomber with incredible volume um, out of the pick, out of the, the pick and roll last season, but little interesting, little small, fun, small sample, just looking at Charlotte's clutch minutes this season, Devonte Graham in clutch minutes, eight to 12 shooting seven yeah. to 10 on threes, eight assists and one turnover. Charlotte's in his DNA. Fit. It's Charlotte DNA, is yeah. Charlotte is plus fifty four yeah. <laughs> in clutch minutes with with uh, Devonte Graham on the court this season. Um, ridiculous, man! 
totally by, the, by the way, this has always been a part of Devontae Graham's game. I mean, it has. Yeah. I mean, going yes. back to Kansas, I mean, he, he is an end of game. He wants to take the last shot. He's He's got that mentality. It's one of those things you can't measure, but this is, you know, this, this is part of who he is. Um, yeah. You know, while we're talking about Devontae, I mean, the volume is, is – a little behind, but it's really not that far behind. He's almost attempting nine threes a game. Uh, so again, this season, but you know, I think a lot of this, Richie, like good, good goal. You, you set for him just more mouths to feed here. You know, like when you mm-hmm. add LaMelo and Gordon, like, I mean, you see, you know, Devante's usage, usage rate has gone down five percentage points, you know, just this yeah. year. And he's still almost getting the same amount of threes up. So it's just the diet comes from different areas. Uh, Brian, I think you pointed this out maybe on Twitter the other day. It's just like, you know, if LaMelo gets from 25 minutes a game to 30 or whatever it is, he gets out there more, um, depending on how much time Rozier misses, like maybe we unleash, you know, off ball, uh, Devonte Graham catch and shoot coming off screen. So, um, that's really where, that's really where I think that he can keep his volume up in terms of three point attempts, but, but increases efficiency uh-huh. just getting more of those catch and shoot off ball, uh, attempts. I think we even saw we got a, a pretty good snippet of it last night. Last Just a one night, game yeah. sample, but eight eight of his uh, 11 three-point attempts were catch and shoot. Um, right. He's three of eight on those looks. Um, yeah, like Rozier, the thing he does best is he's a movement shooter. Devontae's the closest like facsimile of that, even though he's got you know sort of more on-ball creation. Charlotte has other guys that can do that. It's, it, it is... I was going back with Hornet. I, I, I thought about this during the game last night, and I saw Hornet Hornets gist tweet this out as well, like a couple hours after that. And there really is like a cruel irony to the fact that like Kemba is gone, and now this team has like multiple playmakers. You know, it's like it's all those weird. all those years when there was just no, and some of these guys were his teammate, um, Malik and Devonte, but obviously those guys have just taken you know big steps the last two seasons, but. Yeah, there's something unfortunate of just you could never Kemba was such a good off ball player and he remains yeah. a great off ball player, but you could so rarely get him off the the bleeping basketball because it was like it, it, you you put him Batum, but even then it's not like Batum can threaten you with a you know a second side pick and roll or a pull up three or whatever you know so it's just it's a little yeah. it's a little unfortunate, but that's just that's just how it is I guess. I think it's a good point. I think it's also worth mentioning, you know, this is more of a democratic offensive system that was no mostly doubt. under Steve Clifford. That was <laughs> no down doubt. the right. Like that's, that's a little context that's probably mm-hmm. needed in, in that, in that take, Definitely, but, but well taken. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I wanted to mention about Monk, you know, you guys were talking about him and, you know, Richie, I think it's a good point that I've kind of gotten that, that eye test too, you know, the mid range jump shots. I think that what the Hornets are going to start seeing, they're shooting the ball like crazy right now. And that's kind of to be expected from them. That's where their offense is going to have to come from outside Gordon Hayward's mid range, getting to the rim. They're going to dare Malik Monk, Devonte Graham, Terry Rozier. They're going to, we're not leaving shooters. So you want to go to the rim and finish, be our guest. So, you know, Devonte beating a closeout, getting to that mid range. Cause you know, he knows he's not good at drawing fouls. He's no, he knows he's not good at finishing at the rim. That's fine. Take that mid range jump shot. Malik, there's an opportunity for him to your point, Richie, get all the way to the rim. Mm. He needs mm. to get all the way to the rim every single time he's chased off or most of the times that he doesn't see a rotation because we know he's got athleticism. We know he can finish there. He can get to the free throw line. So that's kind of like the next, because the words out. Okay. I know it's only like 53 <laughs> point attempts or whatever, but you're not getting any more open looks Malik there. You know, teams are going to be chasing you off the line. They're going to be in your hip. So he's going to have plenty of opportunities to show that athleticism and the Hornets stink at the rim right now. They're one oh, of the worst sure. teams in the league. Yeah. Oh, so he's yeah. somebody that could, that could give them a little bit of a jolt. I think there. he's the one guard, you know, I mean, LaMelo kind of, but he's just not going to be efficient at the rim. Uh, Caleb, that's why Caleb was in the road to Caleb Martin was in the rotation. And I mean, he made some nice impact plays against Miami uh, last night, but like, yeah, Malik is the, is far and away the best guy on the roster to give you that like live dribble from 25 feet out, you know, attack the rim and, and, you know, draw fouls or finish with some level of efficiency or, or hit a dump off pass too. That that's what's also makes them yeah. very effective and, yeah. and with the ball in Monk's hands. Yeah. We've definitely spent some time on Mark's question. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. We could probably go on with other goals that we have for players, but let's get on to the next question at sarcastic underscore asset friend of the show here. What have you liked so far from the defense and what have you seen that needs to be cleaned up the most? 
Okay, so the defense, you know, if you just look at the numbers, I think most people would say um, they have overperformed their expectations. Obviously, there's some luck involved with some of these missed wide-open shots from opponents. But I will say this, overall, and maybe this is just my personal opinion, overall, I've liked their energy just kind of flying around. They've been fairly active, I think, um, and rotating. And just watching from you know the TV screen, it feels like the communication has been pretty good. Now, the question becomes, could they avoid rotations if they actually had better perimeter defense? Sure. I mean, but to the point of being a good rotational team in terms of a backside help, like they're doing that in waves. And it, it, this team on defense comes and goes in waves. And I, I think with anything that, uh, anytime the Hornets are performing well, it's because their defense is performing well because they like to get out and run. When they get stops, they do better on the offensive side. And then in turn, it, it's just a cycle. And then they come back down on defense and they lock in. But to the point of this question, there's still a lot that needs to be cleaned up. Like I just mentioned, the perimeter defense, uh, sometimes it, it left, you know, leaves a lot to be desired. I do, I would like for them, and Spencer kind of mentioned this earlier in the season, to try to limit their zone defense to like 10% of their possessions compared to like 15 to 20% of their possessions. <laughs> and I don't, do you feel like they've limited that recently? It may marginally, if, if, if anything, uh, right now, uh, just uh, just for for the sake of uh, clarification here, Charlotte twenty according to Synergy twenty one percent of their half court defensive possessions have uh, been in zone. That is far and away the largest share in the NBA. Cleveland is second at thirteen point seven percent. Miami twelve point six percent. Toronto ten point two. Indiana ten nine point eight. Those are the only ones that have percentages above nine. There's actually a big drop off after Indiana. And these are the coaches you would expect, I think. Nick Nurse, uh, Nate Bjorkren, his former assistant out in Indiana, uh, and obviously Eric Spolstra um, with the Heat. Like that's, and I think Charlotte is the sort of Charlotte, maybe JB Bickerstaff and Cleveland are sort of like the, the wild card el new elements that this season. Yeah. But um, Charlotte is eighth in efficiency in, zone, in terms of zone defense. Um, and they are first in frequency in terms of percentage. But that was maybe even closer to like 22% like a week or so okay. ago. I don't, I don't check that every day. So if it has dropped, it is, um, it's not by a lot. It just feels from the eye test from the past three or four games, it's gone yeah, down a, I, little I, bit, I, a little bit. I agree. I agree with you actually, it's, Richie. That, that's, that's definitely the addition, you know, of Cody Zeller being back. That's what I was going to yeah. say. If there's a way to filter those stats since he's been back, I, I definitely think it's, it's gone down. Uh, and we knew that, you know, we knew Cody was going to give them the element of just playing more traditional pick and roll defense. You know, he, he can, he can hedge a ball screen. He can side a ball screen. He they switched traffic, with him. He can drop. They, yeah, switched, they, they switched with him. Yeah. That's right. So, you know, there's a lot, he's, he's a versatile defensive center, I think, uh, certainly relative to what they had. So, so I think yeah. that, <laughs> that the Borrego is going to reel the zone back and, and look, the other, the other part of Charlotte's defense, Richie, is just like, I, you know, they were getting pretty lucky uh, on, on shooting from their opponent earlier in the season. That's starting to to normalize a little bit. Uh, I mean, they have – we've talked about this before. They have the worst location effective field, effective field goal percentage that they give up in the whole league. So, if every team that they played shot league average, they'd be 30th. Uh, okay, so um, that is still probably – you know, I think that playing less zone, playing more man – having Cody Zeller back, I think you can have some wins on the margins in terms of how many open shots you're giving up to opponents at the rim. And just playing more man is going to allow the Hornets to get to the corner more often. You yes. know, they're going to, they're going to slice some of these things down on the margins, but from what the data tells us early in the season, they got a long way to go mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. there's more, uh, there's more regression uh, in the stats here that would not look favorable for the Hornets. But the addition of Zeller has been real. And I do think that there's a way for this team to stay a top 20 defense if he yeah. stays healthy. Yeah, agreed. I mean, the way he was he was out running around, shuffling his feet, sliding, funneling actions, like he, when that dude's healthy, his mobility is just such a strength on both ends of the court. Like he's not unafraid of contact. That's probably a blessing and a curse for him um, just in terms of his injury history. But like his, his ability to move is like, it's a really probably underrated 
and I, you know, he's not the athlete he was, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, but uh, last night in the Milwaukee game, uh, he was really awesome on both sides of the court. I thought, and just looked like he was moving around like healthy and free. So, you know, that, that usually doesn't last all that long here in Hornetsville. So keep, hold your breath. But um, yeah, I mean, could you imagine, I was thinking about this earlier. Could you imagine if someone came up to you preseason and you didn't know the Hornets were going to be playing zone like this. You knew, you thought they would see it like they did last season, like, you know, occasionally after timeouts or whatever, but not like it was going to be like part of their base defense. And if someone told you that Charlotte is going to lead the league in opponent volume, uh, field goal attempts from the corners, 15%, most by a lot. And that they were also going to be tops in the NBA in terms of opponent percentage of field goal attempts that are coming from the mid range, which is about 20, what, 21%. This season, if someone told you all of those things and then also mentioned to you that Charlotte was 17th in efficiency, you would be like, I I need to know what's missing. You know, like you would just assume it's extreme shooting luck. Um, But the zone has been a bit of a wild card on certain nights and it's helped force turnovers. Um, They're six in in turnover eight defensively this year. So like that's happened. And to Spencer's point, like there's stuff on the margins. There's just like low hanging fruit stuff. Um, I think certain guys can be better in their assignments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Malik Monk playing a little bit more. If that comes at the reduction of some Terry Rozier minutes, that probably helps from like a defensive assignment standpoint. You probably like to see better rim protection and more defensive rebounding, but like you guys know this, like everyone listening to this pod knows it. Like they're just limited there and they're going to play a lot of PJ at center. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of times where there's no one taller than six, seven out there, you know, like it's just, that's just how it's going to be. But if you can find ways to sort of tighten that up a little bit, again, I think there's some small ways to sort of improve it on the margins, knowing that you're going to be punting on defending some of these areas of the court uh, when you're in this zone zone concept. Speaking of defensive rebounding, guys, this is a small victory. Last five games or so, Charlotte is 13th in the NBA in defensive rebounding percentage. So on the season, they're 29th. I wouldn't say it's cleaned up by any means, but at least they're on a hot streak right now. So I, I don't know if that has it anything to do with Cody, Zeller. Yeah, Scott, he's got to have, he's playing some part, some role in that, right? It has to be. And, and one thing too, is like, I feel like the Hornets do have some undersized wings and guards that can actually rebound. So you would feel like this team as a whole would take on that mm-hmm. team mentality and crashing the boards like LaMelo and, and Rozier and Hayward's even a good defensive rebounder. Like you feel like that would, that should be up to me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it, it has to be by committee with this group. Uh, I think we yeah. discussed this earlier in the year too. I mean, yeah, you, you mentioned the, the few that are good. I mean, balls, excellent, you know, rebounder in general, really good offensive rebounder too, but, but Rozier um, definitely. And, and yeah, we'll see with Monk. I mean, you know, he certainly has the athleticism to stick his nose in there and do it. Gosh, talking about these these hustle stats, you know, rebounding. And can we just get a shout out to Caleb Martin? Uh, yeah. That guy, I love watching him play defense. I mean, I love both of those guys. I mean, Caleb and Cody, both excellent defenders. But, you know, you just talk about a guy that will energize his team just with his effort is Caleb Martin. And it, it is 100% the reason that he is remaining in the rotation. Yeah. Um, by the way, I looked this up earlier, just kind of a, a fun little set. When Caleb Martin plays up a position so we place three horns are getting sliced up pretty good about about negative seven net rating when he plays his real position shooting guard uh hornets are plus two i think it was plus two maybe a little less than that but i thought that was a significant stat kind of telling for for really what his role for this team can be do you think caleb martin at practice just practices charges all day and just puts like a little pad <laughs> on the back and just falls down and fall like he, he he sets up for charges so often it's funny to watch yeah my favorite thing he did last night was going up uh to bam. deny bam yes. at the rim yeah and then he Incredible. went up and met somebody else up there and man just violent i mean a guy just puts his body on the line yeah, he does that. That he plays like a guy who just—I mean—he's earned everything. You know, his entire basketball career, you can tell. Um, no plays off, kind of guy. And again, I think sometimes that leads him. That can lead him down the wrong path um, defensively. You know, occasion, you know, occasional uh, a mistake, overhelp, or whatever. But yeah, his like his ability to just create events is um, defensively just through like his effort and athleticism is is pretty impressive. And like, yeah, I wouldn't have best. I wouldn't have bet you know, a couple months ago that he would have like usurped Cody, you know, Cody is twin in terms of like standing in the rotation. Uh, this has been kind of a lost year for Cody Martin so far, un- un- unfortunately, but, uh, but yeah. And then uh, real quickly too, last thing I wanted to touch on with, uh, well, I guess we're about to talk about Zeller here, aren't yeah, we? So we I, can, are. I can 
hold off and just wait till we get to the next question here. So the next question comes from at Alex Golden NBA. I think he has a Pacers pod, right? Spencer, you've been on his pod before. Yeah, Alex is great. Yeah. Uh, setting, the pace setting the pace is the name of his pod, I believe. So go check that out if you want some Indiana Pacers yeah. chat. Alex is the he's the guy. He's the guy, a friend of the pod. Yeah, we got we had a couple Pacer uh, fans that have sent in questions. So is Cody Zeller, well, it makes sense here, Indiana guy, is Cody Zeller the long-term answer at center or should the Hornets look to upgrade at that position? Uh, I'm going to keep my answer short to this question. Uh, is he the long-term answer? No. Uh, but would it be smart to try and re-sign him as Bismack is coming off the books and the roster in the offseason? I think if you can find a way to do it to make the money work, you go after him and, and you want to retain him and keep him in a Charlotte Hornets uniform. It's just so weird, this center position. We've talked about it before. It's just so complicated with Vernon Carey Jr. and Nick Richards. I'm still, to this day, not understanding why we drafted slash traded for two centers in the second round. Like, what what was the reasoning behind that? But it makes it a little crowded. The Richards pick is, like, it's baffling. Uh, like, yeah, I mean, I, I think the Vernon Carey Jr. one pick is, too, that early. Yeah. But at least you could at least say, like, well, we really saw something in this guy, and he's a development piece. And, I don't know, Nick Richards is older, and you, you moved an asset to get back into the draft to take this guy ahead of someone like Isaiah Joe, um, who's had some good moments for Philadelphia this season, by the way. Um, so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like by uh, that, that pick it, ultimately it's not, I don't think it's going to matter that much, but it, it, God, it's just so right now it just, it does not look like a, a real winner, nor did it on the night of the draft. It was dumb when it happened. Yeah. And if you want proof of that, you can go back and watch our draft <laughs> show that <laughs> yeah. night because we were uh, not pumped yeah. uh, when Kerry was picked when he was. But yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you, Richie. Long term, certainly not. But I actually think Cody Zeller is perfect for this roster right now, you know, where we sit today. The young guys, I think he's, <laughs> you know, we haven't seen it enough yet, but he's going to have a really nice synergy with LaMelo Ball. We actually have mm-hmm. seen it some. And, uh, I mean, he's going to get that guy more space going downhill. And he's also going to have a nice synergy with Gordon Hayward. Uh, I, I look forward to seeing those two guys play a more two-man two game, too. So, if, if Cody can stay healthy, I, I really do believe that he is kind of what stirs the drink for the Hornets right now. Um, just on both ends of the floor. He can make them a team good enough mm-hmm. that I think could finish in the top eight of the East. I think you take him out. Let's say he only played 50% of the games from here on out. Knock on wood, hope that doesn't happen. But like to me, I kind of know what everything else on this team is, but he adds that layer of a uh, 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 dynamic offense because of what he can do in the short roll, the dribble at, the DHO. And then he just keeps your head afloat defensively. Like He's the difference between Hornets being top eight and maybe all the way down to 13, 14. So God, what year is it, man? Like talking about, talking, <laughs> about, talking about the, like the, the in season health of Cody Zeller relative to like whether Charlotte can get the eighth seat or not. I mean, this is like a, yeah. this is a 20, this, this is a 2017 conversation that has uh, just, uh, that is amazingly like, he's just, he stood the test of time. Like he's still here, you know, like he, he still and, is. And he he's looks still... good, by the way. He no, looks I, athletic. He totally. looks like he's, he looks totally. quick. I mean, I didn't expect Cody Zeller to look like this, even yeah. before the injury he suffered earlier in the year. I just thought like, you know, injuries, age, like it's, it's yeah. caught up to him. I love Cody Zeller, but he looks really good to me. And the, he's one of those players that you can't, like if you only watch the Hornets once every two weeks, you're not going to watch them and be like, man, Cody Zeller is what makes it go for them. Yeah. But if you watch yeah. him every night, you yeah. understand it very clearly. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even in the, in a more sort of like egalitarian offense, not just like, you know, 60 pick and rolls per game with Kemba, you're going to see even more of like Zeller's like, his just like random screening away from the basketball. He's just, he's perfect for getting the ball from one side to the other. Cause he can run DHO. He can screen. Um, I, I tweeted out a possession the other night from the Milwaukee game where like he ran a DHO, then the ball got swung back to the other side to Melo who drove baseline against Lopez on a switch. And as that was happening, I think, I think it was Rozier filled to the corner and Zeller like went over there and set a flare screen and LaMelo ended up kicking the ball back out to PJ who then swung it to Hayward for uh, in the corner for three. And it was just like, all of the, I mean, this was a team possession. Totally. The ball movement was great, but like 
it was Zeller's, his ability to be like the fulcrum offensively here. And just, again, willing to stick his nose in on screens that uh, is, is such an, a linchpin for them offensively. And we saw this when Cody was out, like the offensive lineups with biz on are just like, it, it doesn't work, man. It just doesn't like, it's like, that's not even against biz. Like his value to this roster is in, um, is in his ability to be a leader, you know, yeah, like in his room. ability to be a vet, like that's, 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 Obviously, yes, every so often you need him to come in and bang and, and get rebounds or whatever. But like his value is, is far more um, intangible than what Zeller does just in terms of his on-court abilities. And I, we've even seen the last couple of games, like they'll just give Cody the ball in the middle of the court. You know what I mean? Like five out, ball in Zeller's hands, pick a side, and we're going to go into DHO here. Um, and, and then we get to the Chicago action. And then we get to that delay 45 look on the backside and, um, and they've been running a lot of stuff off that, even though they're not finding that initial cutter, they're looking for pin downs and for, uh, for threes and for reversing the ball back to the other side of the court. So do I think Cody Zeller is the long-term answer? I think, no, um, maybe it depends on what your definition of long-term is. Um, you know, if you're thinking of someone tethered, you know, to the LaMelo ball experience for anything more than like two or three years, like definitely not but yeah dude can zeller be a really good when healthy be a good stopgap doesn't really do him enough service when he's playing this well but ultimately they're going to need to find a rim runner in the middle of the court mm-hmm. right like this stuff with miles bridges is great we talked about this a couple of weeks ago about what are the best pieces to put around Lamelo going forward like if you want to do that you got to have a seven footer, six eleven guy in the middle that can jump up and catch a lob. I think. I mean, like ultimately, if you're gonna like get the best version of Lamelo, you have to have that kind of threat in the middle. I suppose the case can be made that maybe Lamelo would be better with a guy like Zeller. That's a you know maybe a little bit more below the rim, um, unless he's trying to dunk on Giannis. But yeah, about to say, like, Brian, you, how could you forget? Yeah, <laughs> yeah not to not, no shade on Zeller. I mean, occasionally he'll jump up and surprise you. I guess, but like. Maybe maybe Lamelo would he pair better with a, a guy that can play in space and short roll and pass and I I don't know we'll see but I, I think it would be a real big value add for them to have a guy a seven foot that could rim run in the middle we've talked about this before in the pod but like Evan Mobley checks both of these boxes um, if you've watched any of USC or any of Mobley this year he's probably my favorite prospect in the draft and. I mean, I don't think the Hornets are going to end up with him, but he could do both of these things. Um, Not to be like negative revisionist history guy, but um, how about Christian Wood on this team? Oh my oh. God. Yeah. Speaking of, <laughs> I mean, speaking of 2017 sure the Hornets. Hornets. That, that, yeah. I mean, the Hornets yeah. were there. I, I'm not even talking 2017. God. I'm talking in free agency. I think they were, they yeah, wanted, right. they could have had him. Right. And, yeah. Uh, so, you know, but I, man, I got Gordon Hayward instead for a lot more money, but he's been awesome. So we're not, I'm not going to, that's a good point, think, but you know, just it, great it, point. I have to think about it. I have to think about it's it. It's a great point. He, he's like, he would be, he's like an ideal fit too. Cause he can step out and shoot three. Yeah. Same with Mobley, but I don't, you know, Mobley's going to end up beyond some other team. It'll have to be haunted by him for the next decade or whatever. This would be like, uh, in between a 10 and 15 offense in the NBA with Christian Wood right now, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. If yeah. not scratching into a top 10, but anyways, whatever. I remember my, first, really piece, good. my first piece for queen city hoops. Spencer was, was profiling Christian Wood. Um, <laughs> In the summer of now he was the center of the future, right? So yeah, <laughs> here we are. Yeah, four but, years later. Yeah, but yeah. To, to Brian's point about the offense and just Cody Zeller subbing in for Biombo, the, the team has just been so much better. And a lot yeah. of these slow starts have be, been because of these poor offensive showings. And you know, Borrego has had to make some changes with his rotations and, and trying to get things going. Now that we have Zeller, that that stabilizes it a little bit more on the offensive side. And obviously it's a small sample size just because of the minutes that Zeller has played compared to some of the other players. But if you look at some of his on-off numbers, um, he adds 5.9 points per 100 possessions on offense, which is in the 78th percentile. Go look at Biombo's real quick on cleaning the glass. <laughs> you'll, you'll get a little bit of a laugh there. Spencer's shaking his head. No, I will not yeah. do that. But, you know, just with him on the court, the assists go up, the second chance points go up. 
for a team that struggles in the half court, his screen setting is, is badly needed. His short roll passing is needed. Everything that he provides for this team is, is really needed. And to Spencer's point, if you're not watching this team consistently, you don't really understand his value. But you sit down and you watch five, ten games straight, you'll understand why this offense clicks when he's out there. Uh, okay, I guess if you guys don't want to look, Biombo's negative uh, 15.5. Points per possession. That's the first percentile. So let's go, Biz. By the way, and Richie, I'm glad you brought this up because I wanted to read these numbers off a couple minutes ago. But Charlotte's shot chart with Zeller out there this season um, is really, really great. About 55% effective shooting. Um, 37% of their attempts are at the rim. Great number. And 43% of their field goal attempts are three pointers. Uh, less than 20% of their field goal attempts are coming from the mid range. So, you know, Zeller is one of those guys that helps you get the ball when he's out there, uh, his screening, his passing, um, his ability to draw gravity to the rim. Um, like all of that stuff helps you get to these money areas mm -hmm. um, that James Borrego certainly wants to target. And one thing too, like he, he's only played like seven or eight games. So he's still working on that yeah. chemistry with all these teammates. So I, I can yeah. only imagine that maybe the, the offensive production when he's out there at least slightly improves a little bit. All right, let's get to the last listener question um, at Sweatbox program on Twitter. Question says this thoughts on a ball monk Hayward bridges starting lineup with either Washington or Zeller at the five. Now I'm, I'm assuming this question assumes that Rozier is back and healthy and he's just being shifted to the bench. I, I still, I'm still not understanding why fans of this team are just totally just shifting Devonte Graham from this situation altogether. Like I per, I personally would be totally fine if you're going to insert LaMelo into the starting lineup. Why can't we just use him like we have been with Rozier being injured? Like DG and LaMelo together, plus Hayward, plus PJ, plus Cody yeah. Zeller. I, I think that would be fine too. I, I just think the equation here is always eliminating Devontae Graham. Now, he's probably better suited for a guy that comes off the bench and lights you up on offense, but... To me, to me, like whenever, whenever you bring up these Lamelo situations, I just feel like Devontae is always on the back burner, and just people don't think about how good he's been in the past handful of games. Polarization. Yeah. <laughs> you enter a guy like Lamelo Ball into the conversation, it becomes a polarized conversation yeah. immediately. And, yeah. And, you know, we've that's so so a lot of it lacks context. I think um, not to call anybody out, but yeah. I just don't take many of these Lamelo Ball needs to be in the starting lineup yesterday conversations very seriously. Um, it's been working. Um, I, he's going to find his way to the starting lineup. Like, I just, I don't think there's anything wrong with James Borrego asking a 19 year old kid who frankly hasn't proven that much until this year that he needs to earn his keep. Like I just uh, call me old school. I don't understand what's wrong with that. And, and again, it's been working. Yeah. Like, what are we talking about? Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. But to, to kind of to answer this question, um, you know, I think the thought of Monk in the starting lineup is interesting, but I, I think I think his long-term fit is coming off the bench as a heated up kind of guy offensively. They can play on the ball, can play off the ball, um, bomb it. Um, and the most inter interesting thing about this too, the P.J. Washington um, – you know, in there at the five, I, th I think PJ's got talking about guys that need to prove something. I think he tops that list out for the Hornets right now. Um, I'm a little nervous about his minutes just in general, especially in leverage situations. Uh, he, he does, he does not look good. We'll see what this injury that, looks like. I, that heat game was sure. not good for him. Spencer. He just yeah. doesn't have any lift. Like he just has nothing at the rim or going to the rim. Um, I don't know. I thought he would, he looked better. I thought maybe after the first week of the season and he's, he's struggling, he's really struggling. And maybe it's just a confidence thing, but to me, it just looks like he doesn't have the burst off the ground or with his first step that he had last year. I'm just a little confused at this point. The, the finishing against Miami was, was pretty tough to to watch before the injury. And, and look, they, this, this team needs PJ um, now and they need him in the future. Like he's, he's a, seemingly a, 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 a foundational element here. Um, and, and I do like in an optimized version, how he fits with, uh, with LaMelo ball um, on the offensive end. I think there's some, some really 
appealing stuff those guys can uh can do with one another uh certainly in the, the pick and pop game i do think in the milwaukee game while pj he was battling foul trouble I thought he at least did a good job just sort of like stepping up and, and being like, look, I'm just not going to get the calls. Like I got to guard this monster in the middle of the court and the refs are doing me no favors. I look I, sidebar. I'm like, not a guy that usually likes to like gripe about the refs. I usually don't care that much, but man, they just let Giannis do whatever he wants in the middle whatever of the court. I mean, I, I mean, I know he draws a lot of foul. Like yeah. I know he's in foul trouble a lot too, even for a guy that doesn't play a, a ton of minutes or hasn't over the majority of his career. But man, I mean, it, it must be just so frustrating to play this guy. It's like he has every, he just has every physical advantage over you. And it's just, you're just helpless. Like even if you're a tough guy and you stand in and try to guard him, it's like being buddy, you ain't playing, but more than, you know, 20, whatever minutes tonight, you're like, you're going to get in foul trouble, if not foul all the way out of the game. Um, so they I thought appreciate PG- him. Sorry, Brian. Yeah. They, yeah, they officiate him as like a superstar guard, but he's yeah. like, actually like Shaq and it's like, <laughs> yeah, but yes. this is like, I agree. He like yeah. transcends what, what a superstar whistle should be. And I had the same take the other night. It was very frustrating. Yeah. It just over and over, you knew what was going to happen. They're like, you're going to throw it to Giannis in the court, the middle of the court. There's not really a plan. Um, he's just going to steamroll and spin and, and elbow and get his way right to the rim. And, and it's in like, it's what makes him an MVP. Like he's unstoppable. Like I, I agree. Like I, I like Giannis. Like he's a, he's an, I'm, I'm not even like knocking him. Um, but yeah, the way he, cause, cause he's amazing, but the way he's officiated is just, it's, it's a little baffling because like it, it he's able to just do so much in him again. Maybe that's a part of, that's part of his brilliance, but this is probably something that like Harden a couple of years ago, James Harden was hitting on a couple of years ago, but didn't quite spell it out this way. But when he basically said like, yeah, like, you know, what makes Giannis so great is that he's like big and he can dunk on everybody. You know, when they, when they were, this was like during the 2019 MVP sort of debate or whatever between Giannis and Harden. And I don't know if you were to get like a more like longer winded answer from Harden on this, I I wonder if he would talk about some of the things we're mentioning now, just to sort of um, now, I guess maybe it would be funny to think about Harden critiquing officiating yeah, right. um, on his own on his own right. But uh, but yeah, I, th- I thought at least PJ like stepped up and was like, well, it's not going to be, it's not my night to be like a featured guy because like I'm taking a beating and I'm in foul trouble. But I, at least I thought his like verve defensively that night was good. It, but yeah, the finishing against Miami was obviously like it, <laughs> not great. Several guys last night had trouble finishing at the rim, but uh, PJ probably topped that list. Yeah, you could probably say that every night. Finishing at the rim is an issue for the Charlotte Hornets. We are going to get to the last segment here. A very, like I said, very topical segment. Buying and selling stock of two players. So we'll buy one and we'll sell another. Now, if you've been living under a rock, maybe you don't understand why this is a trendy topic. What was this, like four or five, I don't know, a week ago? Whatever, when the GameStop stock rose, skyrocketed. Reminded me of a episode in The Office where Michael Scott was trying to understand what a surplus was, and he was like, explain this to me like I'm five. Because I I did not know what was going on. Why don't you explain this to me like I am an eight-year-old? All right, well, this is the overall budget for this fiscal year along the x-axis. Yes. There. There's the x-axis. You can see clearly on this page that we have a surplus of $4,300. Mm-hmm. Okay. But we have to spend that by the end of the day or it will be deducted from next year's budget. Why don't you explain this to me like I'm five? Spencer, can you explain it a little bit better than I'm getting ready to? Because is it is it was it as simple as like people on reddit bought stock to skyrocket these prices to kind of basically screw over some hedge fund investors like is that the yes. gist of it yeah that's 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 exactly what it, well it, number one is the power of the internet yeah it's the middle class retail investors um bought off this stock uh to so what hedge funds do is they bet against comp they bet that companies will fail gotcha. and when that happens Companies, they, they make money basically without going into all the. So what this was called, what happened with GameStop was a short squeeze. So a bunch of people on the internet got together and threw their money on the table. And there were probably some very rich people, you know, cloaked as Mother Teresa, you know, in on this too. So I, I don't want to call them all, you know, middle class investors. And they said, yeah, we're going to, we're going to say F you to this hedge fund and, it worked. <laughs> that's yeah. the power of the internet. That's that's some crazy stuff. Now, GameStop, to your point, is uh, 
is it's a bloodbath today. So uh, coming crashing back down to earth. So you feel bad for a lot of these people that held on to that stock that actually are middle class investors, and now they they lost their whole portfolio, right? But yeah. uh, they also sunk ahead. This is the Melvin Capital, like the hedge fund too. They, <laughs> they just did completely like. Do, right. I mean, that, like it, it, they did that. That's the thing that happened actually last week. The Melvin Capital, which is the one that had taken such a huge position, uh, shorting uh, GameStop uh, as like a you know sort of like the the stock of a, a failing you know a, a dying retail giant and. Uh, and yeah, like Melvin Capital's gone now, right? Like, like am I, am I understanding that correctly? Like Melvin Cap doesn't exist anymore as a company, at least like in terms of like uh, active investing or whatever. I, that's a good, I don't know that to be sure. I know yeah. that uh, D12 or Steve Cohen's um, investment company pumped a bunch of new owner of the Mets. I know he- Multiple billions he, of dollars. Dollars in to, to try to help him survive, <laughs> I think. And who knows? But uh, anyways, uh, Richard, yes, I mean, that, that's basically what happened. Okay. So I, again, I was like Michael Scott in that situation, trying to explain what a surplus <laughs> was. Um, so let's go through this quickly and, and we'll just rattle off who we're going to sell and who we're going to buy. Spencer, I don't think you're going to be happy with who I'm selling here. So I'm going to go ahead and sell Caleb Martin. Now I'm a little bit more conservative with like stocks and stuff like that. So his answer intertwines with my next answer. So here's what I'll say. I, I still think that he's going to be used situationally, and he's definitely hit some tough shots uh, over the course of the season, I think in Milwaukee several nights ago. But I think on the whole, his role on this team, once when Rozier gets back, is going to be on a downward trend. He's still a good defender. He's still someone that, that can hit the occasional three in a tough spot. And I probably won't make a ton of money selling him, but I do feel like he's at a point to where it's going to be on the downward trend. So I'm going to go ahead and sell my stock with Caleb Martin. Again, it might not make me a lot of money and I might regret this, but that's what I'm going to do. And then to finish it off, the stock that I am going to buy, and I need to clarify this, I bought this stock prior to the game against the Heat. I'm buying Malik Monk. So as I was prepping for this podcast, he was the first name that I put down. His price was seemingly low prior to the Miami Heat game. Um, and I was banking on the fact that his finishing at the rim would increase for a team that struggles. They, they need that. His playmaking fits perfectly into what Charlotte is trying to do. So it looks like he's working his bay, way back into the room with James Borrego. And I that's what I'm saying. I, I think his playtime is going to come at the expense of Caleb Martin, especially when Rozier mm -hmm. is back healthy. So selling Caleb, buying Malik might not be the sexiest of picks there. It might be a little bit conservative, but that's where I'm going. Okay. I like that. Um, so I'm actually, I've owned Malik Monk stock for a very long time, lost some money, yeah. mo mostly lost money on yeah. it, made some money here. Same. I'm selling Malik Monk Ooh. stock this morning. Uh, and that's wow. not because I, I, I do think you're right about that, Richie. I do think that he does probably replace at least a good, portion of those Martin twin, you know, Jalen McDaniels, if he comes back minutes, I, I, I agree. So there's, there's reason to think that this could keep trending upwards, but this is as high as it's going to get to me. <laughs> I, I don't see him having a, another night like he did last night. So I'm going to go ahead and get off that stock cash out. Um, but with the caveat that I do expect pretty good things from Monk for the rest of the season, if he can stay healthy, uh, I'm buying Cody Zeller stock. Uh, I think it's been pretty low for all the reasons that we've, um, that we've kind of laid out in this episode. I think that Zeller's never going to put up big numbers. You know, he's never going to attract a ton of eyeballs, but he's one of those guys that helps the ship sail a little smoother from a team perspective. And I think as the winds pile up, if he stays healthy, that's the number one risk I'm taking here. If he can stay healthy, but as the winds pile up, you know, the Hornets stock prices, the team goes up, Cody's is going to rise up. So it, it's a little bit of a conservative bet on, on him, but, uh, but I think that I can make some, I think I can make some money on the margins with Zeller. Yeah. These are all savvy, savvy investment <laughs> tools here and, and kudos to you guys. We'll, we'll stop. Maybe we'll create our own little uh, boutique investment firm where we just um, advise on who's trending upward uh, amongst the, the 15 players on the Charlotte Hornets roster. Uh, I feel like there's, there's a, there's a, a small but niche and important market that would be uh, interested in those, uh, those decisions. Um, yeah. It's tough to say everyone like the vibes are just so good around this team right now uh yeah Malik's not going to shoot that well from three again but 
I think you can see him get some more of the stuff that we saw last season as far as getting to the rim. We hit on that earlier in the episode. I don't really feel good about doing this, but if I had to sell stock in some Hornet, how about I'm gonna I'm gonna look over at Terry Rozier, oh. who's having an I you know he's shooting the ball well this season. Certainly an important score for Charlotte, no doubt. But in his movement shooting is something that unless Devonte can get there, can't really be replicated on this roster. But we saw some of that with Devonte uh, last night against Miami. We've seen some of it this season. But just his assignment defense, de- defensive acumen, I am not in love with. I think it's sort of like up and down, and I, I don't think he's like. Uh, on a night to night basis, I, I think he, he messes up a lot on the defensive end. Um, I like some of his shot creation aspects, but not like out of a standstill pick and roll. Not like that's a huge deal on this team. But if I just had to pick one guy, I would say we'll just see how Charlotte plays while Terry, you know, while, while Terry's out. We'll see how long that mm-hmm. is. Maybe he'll be back soon. And uh, as far as like stock, if, if I were to buy stock in someone, yeah, the, the price on buying stock Lamelo is probably too probably too high how about i uh can i get some like cryptocurrency and lamello ball how can i can i do that uh i'll i'll go with i'll be boring and i'll and i'll go with cody zeller here too because i just really do think his value on both ends of the court he's a, he is a legit two-way player for this roster outside of maybe gordon hayward you know i'm not sure how many you know legit two-way guys this team this team this roster has and um, and Zeller can be a, a benefit for them on both ends. Conservative, but it can be a little volatile too, just because he uh, the injury history. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll um, I'm selling my stock in Terry Rozier, though I don't feel good about that because I think Terry's done some nice things this season. And uh, and Richie, I think you did the best job selling stock in Caleb because yeah, Malik Caleb was basically playing Malik's role, and now Malik is seemingly back. We'll see, I guess. Um, and then I'll, I'll buy stock in Cody Zeller. Well, very good. I think you could almost make the argument that Terry Rozier has been like the second or third best player on this team this year. So if you are selling him, Brian, it might be at a, you know, a peak for him. So exactly. Brian, let, let's talk. You can skip the, uh, the broker. Maybe we can do a cash deal on okay. Terry and you can save a little money on the margins. There. Perfect. All right. I'm in for that. I'm in for that. All right. I've also got, uh, I've got Steve Ballmer and the Clippers on the other line here too. So, <laughs> okay. so they might, they might be interested in, in Rozier stock. We'll see. All right, thanks guys for tuning in to another Buzz Beat. Uh, if you guys are listening right now and haven't given us a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd appreciate it if you could. It takes all of 30 seconds. For Spencer and for Brian, I am Richie. We will see you guys next time. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.